Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. And uh, we're glad you're with us as we continue on in the study we're doing in the book of John uh, right now. Actually, it's a, it encompasses an entire study on the New Testament. We're going through it a chapter at a time. Um, this happens to be, I, I looked at my notes, this is the 51st study in this series. So uh, we did all of Matthew, all of Mark, and we skipped to John, and um, we're going to finish John, then we'll go back and we'll do Luke and Acts, and then we'll go from there. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it as we continue on in the process. Tonight we're just going to do the first uh, 20 or so verses in John, um, because I... I thought a nice early night would be a good thing. We'll be back, most of you back tomorrow. And, and, uh, and I, I didn't want, there's actually 71 verses in this chapter. And so it was either going to be really put them all in and go forever or split this one into two. So it was a good week, I think, to split it into two and, and uh, spend this time together in John chapter 6. The Gospel of John is different uh, in, in a lot of ways from the other three in that it introduces topics differently. John wrote to a different audience, and he introduced Jesus in different ways. And um, we, we are beginning to see some of the statements that Jesus made in John that he didn't make in the others. They'll start showing up uh, over the next few chapters. And we get some of these uh, I am statements that Jesus makes that we don't see in the other Gospels. Um, there are some similarities, obviously. It's just the, the guys there writing from their own take on what happened and, and their own personalities being portrayed. But um, we, we've already noted some differences. But the, the struggle sort of remains. We've, we see Jesus, as we did in all of them, introduced into the scene. He's come to sort of straighten things out, to let people know about the kind of love that God has for them. Um, that love has been sort of unattainable under the religious system that had sort of established itself under the Pharisees. And the, the whole thing had sort of, at that time, morphed into a series of rules and regulations that had gotten out of hand, and they'd lost the mercy and the grace of God. And Jesus comes back to reintroduce it and to tell people that God loves them and to let people know that God wants a, a personal sort of intimate relationship by, by introducing Him, not as a distant, far-off God, but as a God who is indeed our Daddy. And that we can approach Him and relate to Him in that manner. <clears throat> and that uh, Jesus' message and ministry were clear and true. And, and He backed up what He said with amazing miracles and with a, a powerful ministry that ultimately split time as we know it. That, that history itself, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, has been divided into the time before Christ came and the time since. Um, such was His impact on the world and such is, is the impact that he continues to have. I think it's fitting, too, that, uh, uh, you know, as we celebrate Christmas at this time of year, uh, that hopefully more and more people are open to the reality of who Jesus is and that um, we don't get so caught up in the, the sweep of things. It, it gets really busy, doesn't it? This time of year, isn't it amazing how, how busy Christmas is? I get a kick out of it. We'll talk about it a little tomorrow night in my my short time tomorrow, but I, I think it's kind of funny that we take this time of year when we, we decide that, you know, we should probably write cards to just about everybody we know, and we go out shopping for gifts, and, and then those of you with kids, they decide that it's a brilliant time to let your kids out of school uh, while you have all that going on, 
and then they release like a half a dozen really good movies that you'd like to see, <laughs> and 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 there's parties and there's and there's and it's just so busy, and we can get caught up in the busy. And this, I mean, we, we're supposed to enjoy it, and I hope we do, but um, we never want to miss the reason for the season, and that's peace. And uh, as we study the Gospels, we see the reality of why He came and what He did and what it's all about. And so I want to sort of pick it up from there and. Uh, that idea, and we're going to do the first, uh, I think I'll read the first uh, uh, 21 verses or so out of John 6. Um, I really want to tell the, sort of the story of, of what takes place in the first 16 or 17 verses, but we'll, we'll add the uh, little miracle on at the end. So let's, uh, if you would like, let's read that. You can either turn in your Bibles to John 6, or you can follow along on the notes. They should be on there, or you can just listen to me read, however you want to do it. John 6, chapter 1. I mean, John 6, verse 1 and following. Sometime after this, talking about the events of verse 5, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Remember, he had, we'd just seen two of the miracles that uh, we we left with the the, uh, healing of the guy by the pool the lame man who couldn't walk, and before that, the healing of the official son. And news of that traveled quick. All right? Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for I already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This miraculous feeding... Oh, that's the end of the verse. Pardon me. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I started to read my notes like it was part of the Bible reading. It happened. Okay. So, this uh, miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. I think that speaks to the importance of the miracle. And what was going on, and what it's all about. 
And there are a lot of parallels that um, are drawn out of this um, miraculous uh, time and with the way Moses was able to feed the people when they were in the desert. There's a lot of sort of comparison that takes place. And um, as you read the text, you'll see that it's sort of set up to, to make that happen. And this, this miracle has uh, two significant impacts. On the one hand, it, it completely raises the people's expectations of the coming Messiah. On the other hand, at the end of it, many of the people that were following Jesus leave. Um, at, at the time when, when we finish the chapter, you'll see that a lot of them just check out right here. And so it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating, uh, and, and at the same time, it, it brings people to a spot where they really have to stop and think about who Jesus is and what impact that's going to have on their lives. So um, there, there are some things that I want to look at, and like I said, I'm, I'm not planning on taking a long time with this tonight. I just wanted to bring these, these points up. In the first few verses, um, there, there are these uh, things. Um, it talks about him going to a mountainside, which is like a parallel to uh, Mount Sinai at some level, um, where Moses uh, uh, helped uh, had the, all this stuff that happens with the people. That takes place. And then there's a reference in verse 4 that the Jewish Passover feast was near. Now, I don't think that's there just for the sake of setting up a time. I think that when the Passover was upon the Jewish people, it, it had an impact on the way that they thought. And their thoughts would have been turned towards the events of the Passover. So they'd be thinking in terms of, of blood, of lambs, and of unleavened bread. Remember that um, when the people of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians, it was the Passover event that sets them free from the bondage. And... Um, if you've never read the stories back in Deuteronomy, you need to find out. But what happened was, in the, in the series of plagues that, that uh, God brings onto Egypt, there's a, there's a series of plagues. The last one is the death of the firstborn. And, the, and it's to demonstrate to a hardened Pharaoh that God is God and he wants his people set free. And he's, he's withstood these horrible plagues. It comes to the death of the, the firstborn. And when it strikes the land... The firstborn uh, in the land are, are destroyed, except for the people of Israel who followed the warnings and they, they did what they needed to do. And I'll, I'll give it to you in brief. What Passover celebrates is that they, uh, a few days before the event, they have to take a lamb. And it had to be a, 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 as pure of a lamb as they could find without blemish. And they actually brought it into their home because this wasn't supposed to be an easy thing. And sort of it became temporarily kind of part of the family. Um, and then that lamb had to be sacrificed. And the blood of that lamb was put on the doorpost of the home of the people of Israel. And when the angel of death came and saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over those homes and those people were spared. That's what takes place. And at the conclusion of that event, Pharaoh says, get your people out of here to Moses. Just take them and go. And they are set free from 430 years of bondage in the process. And so the, the Passover feast was a, a, a remembrance that took place every year to remember what God had done, that God had delivered them. It was one of seven feasts. And so when we read about the fact that, there, that it's the time of the Jewish Passover feast was near, the people would be thinking about this whole process. And they'd be thinking about blood, lambs, and unleavened bread. All right? Because it's part of the deal. And there's 
there's tremendous um, implications of that in John chapter 6 of the entire event. Because what's going on right now in Israel's history is they're, under bond, they're in bondage again. And, and what they are is in bondage to Rome. And they hate Rome. I understand there's a tremendous hatred for what's taking place. They have, while they're still allowed to exist, because that's what Rome did, when Rome uh, took over a country, it generally allowed their government to stand and self-govern, and yet Rome came in with his soldiers, and they backed everything up, and they took taxes. So now Israel was in bondage to Rome, and, and Rome ultimately called all the big shots, and Israel was longing for a return to its prominence to the days of King David when they were in charge, where they basically ruled everything. And this is sort of the promise that they're waiting for in the return of their Messiah, that their Messiah, they believe, is going to bring them back to this state. And, in fact, he is, but, but it's not going to happen on their timetable because Jesus is the Messiah who's going to return everything back to that point. But he had to come to a lamb as a lamb first. He's got to come in and pay for the sins. See? And that's how he enters the scene the first time. And and he begins to explain this to the people, uh, in, in particular in this discourse, in the second part of it. You'll see him. He starts talking about, oh, in these next chapters, I'm the bread of life. He's he's saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm the I, this It's me. This, this is what's going to happen. This is the way through. And for many people, it's more than they can handle. And they, they take off. Because all they're looking for is an immediate return to political power. And so hold that intention as you as you read these verses. So they're all set for Passover and they're thinking in those terms. Now, um, there's here's this thing. So all these people are hungry. And um, when the Bible talks about 5,000 men, it's just there were women and children there too. Um, it's not that women and children didn't count because they did, but they didn't count them. <laughs> But make sure you hear what I'm saying. All right? So um, they mattered, but they never showed up in the count. They, they count. They always counted men. So uh, you figure there's probably 10, 15,000 people because there were women and children. And so that's a lot of people, and they're hungry. And, and Jesus wants to feed them. And I think it's neat. He sort of says to, um, to Philip, to one of the guys, um, you know, how, how are you going to organize this deal? What are we going to do to get these people fed? And, and his answer is, we, even if we had eight months' wages, we couldn't. You know, where would we even get this stuff? And, and uh, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, has sort of checked out everything, and he said, hey, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but I did find five small loaves and a couple of fish. Now, I kind of have the thought that Andrew is sort of thinking, Jesus, I think me and the guys, we can probably eat these five loaves and a couple of fish, <laughs> and we're going to be okay. The, uh, the crowds are going to be hungry. But um, <laughs> but here's what Jesus does as we read on in verses 10 to 11. And see, there's all these things happening. So he has the people sit down in this grassy field in groups of 50 or 100. And that's why it was pretty easy to count them. Because you just look and count groups of 50 or 100. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's a reference to, because he's going to talk about, John's going to also refer to Jesus as the good shepherd. And here's the good shepherd having his people sit down in green pastures. You ever heard that before? Yeah? Okay. So none of this stuff. John doesn't miss much of this stuff. He's, he's doing this whole deal, and he's, he's feeding them, right? Uh, and, and, and so it's a reference to Psalm 23. And uh, 
He gets them all to sit down and eat. And, and at the same time, this scene would be very much like the scene in the wilderness where the people that are with Moses need to be fed miraculously. It, it's going to draw these things up in the people that are there. And then um, in, in, in verses 12 and 13, everybody gets fed, and the disciples gather up the leftovers. Again, I think it's interesting that there's 12 basketfuls. How many disciples are there? The basketful for each. Jesus uses everything to teach. He's teaching his disciples. You know what he's teaching them? I will always provide. I am more than sufficient to provide for your needs. Because, again, the first concept was we got these, we got five small loaves and a couple of fish. Send the people away. We got enough for fish sandwiches for us. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, don't worry. You're with me. There's fish sandwiches for everybody. And so the, this miracle takes place. And I, I'm not sure how it took place. I don't know. I mean... Um, did, did Jesus just send them out with the five and what he had? And then every time they kept reaching into the basket, there was more. I don't know where the multiplication took place, but it happened. It took place. And, and the disciples were involved. And there was so much that they, he said, don't let any get wasted. And they, they, they all had a basket full for themselves. Pretty important part. And then um, as the people have eaten, they get an idea of what's happened too. See, because they could tell there wasn't a big restaurant just opened up in the middle of the wilderness that suddenly food, the catering trucks didn't roll up with food for 10, 15,000 folks. They knew something had happened. And, and when this happens, they're reminded of this, this sort of prophetic utterance of Moses that he does in, in Deuteronomy 18:15 that says a prophet like him would rise. I'll read you the verse. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses talking, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So here's the parallel. Moses had led the people, had fed the people, and he had led them out of bondage. Jesus had just fed the people, and they believed that they that he could lead them out of this hated Roman bondage that they were under. And this causes them to cry out, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And immediately it says, and Jesus knew their thoughts, they decided to come and make him king by force. Now, that's fascinating and a very telling statement. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. And it's really sort of the whole deal hinges on this, that same thought. Here, here's the thing. Um, a king is someone who rules, right? Not someone who is ruled by others. It was the crowd's desire to force him... To become king. Who would have been in charge at that point? The crowd. Not the king. See, and ultimately what Jesus discerns is, is that the crowd doesn't want to follow him and obey him as their king. The crowd wants to use him to get out from underneath the bondage to the Romans. And we don't get the we don't get to use Jesus like that. We get to follow and obey. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, he has a way of doing his thing, not yours. <laughs> no matter how much you sort of whine and complain and, and beg and think and hope and push and manipulate, God will still have his way. And he demonstrates it again in this verse. So, so see, that's the big part. And then so what happens is Jesus, knowing this, slips away. Don't you love that? I love that Jesus could slip away. I think that's the coolest thing. 
And how does it, you wonder, because everybody was looking, everybody, you know, he was, the people were there to listen to Jesus. People had their eyes on Jesus. I don't care what was going on. Someone was watching Jesus. And it, he just slipped away. I love that. And, and it's important to note, though, that he can slip away at any time. So when you think about the crucifixion, don't think that he didn't have an option. He went to the cross willingly. We'll get to that at the end of the book. But you've got to hold that in, in mind. He had options. He could have slipped away. They, they never would have caught him if he didn't want to be caught. And he does that because he has to. Anyway, he slips away. And then um, what happens is, is we, we read about another uh, miracle then, is, is that the guys take off on a boat. And you know the story. Jesus walks out on the water to the boat. And they're terrified. And he says, it is I. Now, that phrase, it is I, is just like another phrase he's going to use in John 8, 58, where he says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And it's a, it's a, a claiming of this word that only God was able to say. It was a, another explanation or a, a him, him saying that he was indeed, that he was God. And so um, we, we have this whole thing uh, take place as he goes out to the boat. Now, what I want to really do is I want to pick that up next week. And then from there, um, tie into how this begins to happen. Because what takes place now is a discourse by Jesus explaining the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. And that it, it, has a, it, it has more impact than just hungry people. He's going to go on and talk about being the bread of life. He's going to really then begin to talk about how, how he is the fulfillment of the Passover. And the people, most of them are going to go, no, and leave. Uh, you'll see at the end of the chapter. But not everyone. Some stay. And, and Jesus' claims are still like that. But we talked about that this weekend. A lot of people sort of like some of the teaching of Jesus, but, but they sort of want to use it. They don't want to follow and obey him. They want to use what the best of they can out of Jesus to help them and then leave the rest alone. And that's not an option. He's either Lord or he's not. And, and uh, this, this runs through this, this whole sort of thought. And... and Ultimately, people always have to decide. Is, is he indeed God? Or is he? And will I follow him? Or won't I? And, and it's still a choice that we make today. And it's, it's, it's a choice. I mean, it has to be made. It's pretty clear that it's, it's, you can't have it both ways. You have it his way. But his way is the best way. His way is so much better than our way. We still kind of push for our way all the time. But his way is always better. And, and it's just sort of growing into that whole process. So we're going we're gonna to pick that up next week, but I'm going to leave you just to think about what we talked about today and, and really that big point that when they forced him to be king, that the, the, the picture is they didn't really want to follow Jesus. They just wanted him to get them out of bondage. And, and that's really not a good reason for, for that whole process. So we'll call it a day with that. Let everybody get a nice early night tonight and... Uh, Maybe some of you, some of you got the day off tomorrow, anybody? Get Christmas Eve off? Just a few of you? How many of you got to work tomorrow? I'm sorry. Me too. <laughs> but it's all good. We do it all for the Lord, amen? If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. We're going to pray here. If you're up in Williston, they'll pray for you. If you need prayer, call us, write us, email us. We'll pray for you. And... Uh, Okay, why don't you pass me up your prayer request if you got any, and I will pray.